1: Welcome everyone to today's podcast, the Business Success and Coffee Podcast. And this is a very, very special one. I know listeners, you've heard me say that many, many times before, but this is a an exclusive for me because today I'm joined by Sam Oldham, uh, who, who is the first, not just for this podcast, but the first in my lifetime, Olympic medalist that I've ever spoken to. So we're in for a real treat today, listeners. And Sam was a London 2012 Olympic bronze medalist in men's artistic gymnastics. Now, gymnastics sounds difficult enough for me as it is. I've never been very mobile, but artistic gymnastics, listeners, sounds even uh, more extreme from my point of view. But I'm sure we're going to hear more about that as we go through. Uh, He's a gymnastics coach fellow podcaster and public speaker. And he retired from professional sport at the age of 28. And after traveling around South America last year, so I assume that was in 2022, uh, he's now building his own business. So what a shift. And, and the difference being that the business is to him and and what it also is that he can offer to the world. And that's, that's quite a lofty uh, reason to be in business. you know What can you offer to the world, Sam? Welcome to today's podcast. It's an absolute privilege to have you on.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to uh, yeah, get into it and talking a little bit about my life, I guess, and what you've just explained. That was a great bio. Thank you.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I like them when they're nice and short as well. So uh, and no big <laughs> words, which makes it always easy to pronounce. So that's, that's great. So artistic gymnastics, for those who are going like, what is that just explain for the listeners that definition of artistic gymnastics first and let's let's get started on that
0: sure so i guess for the listeners um artistic gymnastics is the typical gymnastics you would see at the olympic games you know when you're a kid i don't know who you used to watch on tv whether it's mm. nadia Comaneci or olga Cor, mm. but the men's program you have six apparatus so you have the floor exercise the pommel horse yeah. the rings the vault the parallel bars, which are the two bars next to each other, yeah, and then yeah. the, the high bar, the horizontal bar. And then on the women's side of the sport, you have the floor exercise, the balance beam, the vault, and the asymmetric bars. So one high, one low. Yeah, yeah. And that is artistic gymnastics. It's basically gymnastics. It's just ah, uh, it's okay. it is technically called artistic gymnastics. It's an art form, I guess. It's very creative. Um, but, yeah, that's what it is. And I did that for, yeah, 20, 21 years
1: in the end, so. Wow. And I'm sure listeners, you're saying saying, one of those sounds difficult enough on its own. I mean, the two (laughs) rings. uh, I've always wanted to have a go on two rings just to see how, you know, how much strength you'd think you do have. But, you know, I mean, it's just the control is incredible. But to do all of those uh, as part of that artistic gymnastics. Yeah. Wow. So uh, well done. And, you know, taking part in Olympics is, you know, the. The, the highest level that most athletes want to get to. Um, was that something that you always wanted to do as a kid or was it something that you sort of developed as a dream? Tell us a little bit about how that, that goal worked out. Sure. So
0: for me, gymnastics was very left field. All my family are footballers, so they're all football players. Okay. So gymnastics was, yeah, it wasn't in the family. It was actually a school teacher that suggested to my mom that she takes me along to the local gymnastics club. I struggled when I was a kid with concentrating. I uh, found school quite difficult. Okay. I was very fidgety. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of energy. I'm actually currently going through the process of being of having a ADHD diagnosis, so that's quite interesting, at the age okay. of 30. Uh, yeah. But back when I was a kid, I just couldn't sit still and so my mom took me along to this gymnastics class and in my first gymnastics class it was just me and 15 girls because back then <laughs> gymnastics wasn't very popular for boys but I wasn't complaining I was like wow this is great it's just me and yeah. 15 girls and I loved it because I ran around like a nutter and nobody told me off I thought ah oh, this is amazing and I went back week after week and then I did a school competition because I'd noticed that my school had a gymnastics club and again it was just me and all the girls did really well in this competition, won a gold medal for my school, but I was the only boy competing. Uh, So it wasn't actually that impressive, but there was a lady there who was essentially a scout. And she came up to my dad and said, where does Sam do gymnastics? And my dad said, he's literally just started. He does it in the village. And she said, well, there's a big gymnastics club in Nottingham and we'd like him to come for a trial. So I went along with my dad and when you're seven years old, everything looks massive. And I saw gymnastics for the first time with my very own eyes and I was just mesmerized. And then I started training once a week, twice a week, three times a week. And by the time I was about nine years old, I was training twice a day, six days a week, doing up to 40 hours a week. And I watched the Olympic Games on TV at 11 years old. And my dad was on the sofa and I was sat on the floor. And there was nobody from Great Britain at the Olympic Games competing in gymnastics because we weren't very good at it, to be honest, at that point in time. We were the 23rd best team in the world and somebody did a a routine on the rings and when he walked off i saw he had the olympic rings tattooed on the back of his neck and i looked at my dad and i said dad what's that and he said well mate if you go to the olympic games it's a very special achievement not many athletes ever get that opportunity and sometimes the athletes will get the tattoo of the olympic rings to remind themselves that they got all the way to the olympic games Mm -hmm. and so i thought that's what i want to do and it was literally from that moment that was it and I was very lucky that that period of time coincided with London winning the bid to host the 2012 Olympic Games and yeah I guess the rest is history but yeah what unfolded over the next what would that be seven years was that Great Britain went from the 23rd best team in the world to the third which was pretty awesome so yeah it was great to be a part of that.
1: Yeah and I think Listeners, there's, there's two sides to this, isn't there? There's the aspiration to be good and great at what you do for, for your own benefit. Um, and very few of us actually have something that recognises that, like the Olympics. Um, yeah. But to qualify for the Olympics is such a huge thing. You know, I'm a big winter sports fan, so I love all things skiing and, you know, Eddie the Eagle, I've been to Calgary, I've stood at the top of the <laughs> ski jump that he went down. And, you know, we... And particularly after watching the film with Hugh Jackman, I'm sure there's a film about you coming at some point in the future. But it you really have to understand how much effort goes into even qualifying for something like that, never mind being a medalist. And we'll talk about what it felt like to be a medalist perhaps a little bit later on. But before we do that, now, uh, I made a presumption when we were first introduced and you booked the podcast, and even when we started talking before, that... Um, you were probably going to be more of a water drinker because a lot of people who I know who call (laughs) themselves athletes, and I include Lawrence in that with the football as well, uh, who introduced Mm us, drink a lot of water. And you you mentioned the word coffee and they go, oh, no. But actually, coffee is one of your favourite drinks. So tell us a little bit about your like of coffee and what you normally drink. So
0: today I'm actually drinking Lavazza. And um, I use, uh, so is it a Turkish coffee uh, maker when you do it on your stove? So oh, yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah, that's
1: very technical. Is yeah. that right?
0: Yeah, so, that's, yeah, so that's, what I'm, that's what I'm drinking at the minute, mate. And basically, I went to Italy last year. My uncle has a, a lovely little house that he bought about 15 years ago and renovated with my granddad in rural Italy just outside Pescara. And I went there for a week with my girlfriend. And I noticed that in Italy, all of the coffee is in, like, vacuum-sealed coffee bags and they keep it in the fridge um, and I loved it and so when I came back I started doing that so I buy that Lavazza and I put it in the fridge uh, um, but my love for coffee started when I was 23 and I went right. camping with my best friends right. to Cornwall and um, they all had a coffee in the morning with a bacon sarnie, and I thought oh, I'd do it. I'd basically made three rules for myself when I was a bit younger in my teenage years because my favourite TV character was Peter Pan, I was like, I never want to grow up. So I'm not going to drink coffee. I'm not going to read, and I'm not going to drink wine. And um, I started reading. I started reading at the age of about 21. Um, and the next one was coffee. And now occasionally I like a glass of red wine if I'm having a steak. But um, so i yeah, that's it. I've grown up now. But that was when I fell in love with coffee. And um, yeah, and it's
1: been a match made in heaven ever since. Yeah, and great, and yeah, interesting. I mean, I would never think of putting coffee in the fridge. Never. Yeah, never think about keeping I wouldn't it cool. either,
0: but yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm going to have to do some research into that. And listeners, if any of you know why that is and what's behind it, then please let us know. But of course, coffee is about caffeine, and we do have other ways of of uh, getting caffeine, and we were talking before the recording started about um, Red Bull and you know, the, the initial sponsorship that you got from from them. Uh, and before Sam explains that a little bit more, I, I'll give a little bit of my story of Red Bull as well, because I, I had never really come across Red Bull that much, other than that I'd seen it in extreme sports, because they sponsor a lot of extreme sports, and that's why I, I love that kind of thing. And the first ever motorbike team that we sponsored was sponsored, I've got to be careful how I say this because I know it's a kiddie-rated podcast, but it was sponsored by The Daily Star and Red Bull. And we went down to London to the launch and it was uh, the the comedy club, Jonglers. I think that's how you pronounce it in London. And there were a lot of um, Daily Star staff, shall we say, that have their (laughs) portraits on page seven there. Um, And Red Bull. But because Red Bull were doing very well in the motor car racing at the time, you know, when you see the pits and you see these big silos with, with the fuel going and they have these big hoses, don't they, that the fuel cars are. Right, yep. yeah. Sam, they were full of vodka and Red Bull. And they had wow. two of these <laughs> silos full of vodka and Red Bull. And you just literally went up and you just turned <laughs> the tap and it gushed out into a pint pot and you just drank vodka and Red Bull. Um, <laughs> absolutely incredible and that was my first taste of of Red Bull and when I used to go on track days with the bike I always used to make sure I got my my fridge in the motorhome stacked up with Red uh, Bull because it keeps keeps you very alert doesn't it I mean your, your sensors uh, are on high alert and it really does you know give you wings in, in that sense but um, tell us a little bit more about your route into a relationship with with Red Bull sure. and how that worked out
0: so at the age of probably about 15, 16, I started drinking Red Bull. And to be honest, it was just quite commonplace amongst my peers okay. um, mm-hmm. to drink like, energy drinks when you were training. Um, yeah. I'd, never, I'd never drank coffee or tea or ever really been interested in that. I told you that story. I used to go and like, sip my mom's cold tea and just spit it out and be like, yeah. oh, that's not for me. <laughs> um, but at the age of 17, I went to the Youth Olympic Games. and It was the first ever Youth Olympic Games. It was in Singapore. I was being followed by Blue Peter at the time. I was one of the faces of this youth Olympic team, uh, and I won Great Britain's first gold medal of the competition. Well done. And in the high bar final, uh, thank you, in the high bar final, I was drinking Red Bull. Not on purpose, I was just, that's what I used to drink. And for me, whenever I drank Red Bull when I was competing, it was the psychological switch that would go off, like, it's game time. Like, that taste would hit my mouth, My brain would know, right, I'm competing now uh, because I would only I would only drink it in the gym when I was training, when I had like an important session and I would actually use the caffeine as a tool. It wasn't just uh, to make me feel a bit better. And actually, as my career progressed and we started to have an influx of the sports science team, we used to take caffeine tablets that we would time to kick in at the right moment during a competition um but the red bull came along because my dad was my biggest fan he was you know wherever (laughs) he'd go he'd talk about he'd talk about his son sam and what he was doing and he decided to send an email to somebody at red bull who picked it up and he basically said look my son sam has just been at the youth olympic games he's won a gold medal for great Britain. he's gonna be amazing um He's been drinking Red Bull, it's been on BBC and I think you should sponsor him. And someone, someone got back and said, yep, we actually watched that on TV and we'd like a meeting. And then I went that down to it. London, we had a meeting with Red Bull and then that was it. Yeah, at the age of 18, I think it was, signed a contract with Red Bull and I was with them until 2016.
1: Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting because being involved in motorcycle racing as many years as I was and one of my roles was getting sponsorship for the team uh, on occasions as well as well as being the main sponsor for a British Superbike team, we always used to say, if you're wearing clothing, if you're wearing a hat, if you're holding anything, at any point, you never know who is filming. So always make sure the branding is pointing away from you. Never hold a can that way so you can only see the back of your hand. Always always drink it that way. (laughs) It's quite awkward to drink something that way, but it's really, really important from a sponsorship point of view because you never know... When you're going to get caught on a film or in a photograph, and I remember Dennis Hobbs, one of the lads we sponsored, uh, Nori Haga at one race circuit went up in a his bike went down and it caught flames, went up in a ball wow. of fire, and the rider was okay, but the the bike was in the middle of the track. And Dennis, the rider that we sponsored, drove through the flames, uh, and our logo was on the front of the bike and the photo of him coming through the flames. Was actually on the front of the national newspapers about how dangerous the sport was, but you can't buy shots like that, so you never know when one your sponsorship can be in place, but also when people are watching you as well. So that's a that's a great story.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah.
1: So, obviously um, retired from professional sport at the age of 28 and I can understand that you know uh, having been 28 a long, long while ago um, you know things definitely change a little bit bodily wise don't they um, tell us a little bit about the trip to South America and what kind of realizations did you have about building your own business you know did that happen whilst you were traveling did it happen before mm-hmm. after just give us a little bit of how you've got into that journey of being in your own business.
0: Yeah, so I think it was retirement is very difficult, and it was really challenging. And you see, you hear athletes talk about this all the time, right? For the yeah. whole of my life, all I was was the gymnast. When my granddad had introduced me, he go, "You know Sam, right? The gymnast." It was never about just me; it was what I did. And so, a lot of people struggle with that identity crisis. And I was very lucky in that at 23, I started to look at my teammates that were close to retirement and going through that process and thinking, I'm gonna be here in four years time, so I'm gonna watch how they manage that. And the ones that maybe did it in the most, the ones that probably did had that positive experience and ones that maybe struggled with it, okay, what can I learn from each of these? Um, and I also was very lucky that I went to live with my granddad when he retired at 78, <laughs> working as a builder and I was living with him And I knew in two years' time I'm going to go through this. But rather than being at the end of my life, I'll be at the start of my life. Um, So I tried to learn what I could from my granddad, and that process for me was difficult. I didn't understand how I was going to fit into the world, what it was that I was going to do. I think it's very important to say as well. You know, I went to the Olympics in 2012, won a medal for Great Britain, won loads of medals for my country. But there is nothing in place to support athletes when they retire. You know, I have no pension. Um, I didn't even get paid a penny for my Olympic medal so you very much feel like you're left on your own and I had that moment and it was the second lockdown in November of 2021 I don't remember uh, do you remember that one I do went into that lockdown for like four weeks or six weeks uh, and I just had a light bulb moment where I felt like my back was against the wall nobody was going to help me and unless I figured something out I had no idea what was going to happen and I had to turn my 20 years of experience into something. And I think that was the shift. That's where it started. And I developed a mentoring program and at that time I helped lots of clubs, gymnastics clubs, young athletes, uh, try to deal with the situation they were in and how that process of getting back to the gym was going to play out. I'd also started working for a company going into schools and inspiring kids with my story and my assembly, uh, yeah. get, getting to show them gymnastics. Uh, live so they could see it with their own eyes but also teach gymnastics in schools but it was actually my girlfriend uh, Connie she's brilliant she's incredibly switched on and smart and she always gives me the best advice and at the start of last year she said look we're going to go traveling in August Uh, you need to have some idea of what you're going to do when we get back otherwise the whole time we're away all you're going to be thinking about is, what am I going to do when I get back? And it will ruin the, the trip. And I thought, that's a good idea. It's pretty smart. Wise words. Uh, yeah. so I started exploring a few avenues before we left. Um, and I think there was, this was quite a clever thing that I did. I uh, I did eight months of coaching, and I got my level two qualification in coaching. I was pretty sure that that wasn't the road I wanted to go down. But I thought, look, I've got no backup plan. I quit school in year nine, very illegally. And I've got no GCSEs, no education. I've just got what I've learned from my life experiences. So coaching, no matter what happens, I will always be able to get a job teaching gymnastics because of my experience. So I went down that route. I also started doing the schools for myself. So I started going into schools on my own, not with a company, which was a really interesting process. And I explored a couple of other options. I spoke to a family friend who's a qualified sound engineer. He's a freelance photographer and he basically followed me for three years and archived my last three years of training. And I said to him, look, would you be interested in when I get home from traveling, having a conversation with me about how we could potentially work together and how our two skill sets might match up? He said, yes. Um, I also chatted to a few mentors of mine before I left and said, these are my ideas. And I kind of just teed things up for when I left. And then whilst we were traveling, it was the most incredible experience. And I had a lot of time to sit with my thoughts when we were on 20 hour bus journeys to lots of different crazy countries. And we were you know, having some incredible experiences. And for me, it was really interesting. I'd had an argument with my young sister about three years before that. And I basically told her, look, you need to just go traveling and get some life experience. And she basically shouted back at me, traveling doesn't fix everything for everyone, Sam. And I sat back and I thought about that and I was like, yeah, she's probably right. You know, it's not there's not one thing that's going to help everybody. But actually, ironically, it was really helpful for me. And maybe that was because when I was talking to a her, it was coming from within myself. And what it did do was simplify everything for me. It made it seem really simple, you know. And I thought, do you know what? When I come back, I'm going to go at it alone. I'm going to give it a go. Uh, I've got these ideas, I believe in them. I think I'm bringing real value and I uh I got home and I just tried to stumble forwards and force things yep. into action and you know, I'm maybe guilty of doing lots of things at once, but they seem to be paying off and I'm getting that positive feedback from the environment and I guess the world around me that yeah, you're doing the right thing, keep going. So yeah. I guess that's where I'm at with that.
1: Yeah, and and yeah and and Thank you for such a a great explanation. And I think you're right. You know, for me, traveling puts your mind in a different place where you can be more free flowing with ideas. You can be more open because you're seeing new things. Your brain is open to new concepts and new ways forward, isn't it? So, yeah, I love that. So, yeah, I'm probably 50-50. I'm half with you and half with your sister because it's probably somewhere in between. there. Um, but but it's interesting, and, and I'm sure the listeners were quite shocked when you said that as a medalist, you got nothing for that medal. And you know, I see this in in motorsports. You know, I've watched a young lad lose his life on Craner Curves at Donington, and people in the box have said, "Oh well, you know, they get all the money and all the glory." Most of them don't. Yeah, you know, that young lad gave his life for our viewing. And his parents probably remortgaged their house to get him to that yeah. point. You know, and, and I think we should never, in this country in particular, we should never underestimate the lack of support that our youngsters get in doing these incredible things that we all find inspiring and good to watch, but they just don't get the funding yeah. like they do in other countries like Italy, etc. So I'll get off my hobby horse about that one. But going from that, Sam, into a business which already doesn't pay the people involved in it and they you know and obviously sponsorship is something slightly different but yeah you know mentoring and coaching other people i should imagine is equally low paid might not be free paid but i should imagine it's going to be fairly low paid because the whole environment around that is one where people are giving it for their love of the of the sport and gymnastics, rather than actually from money to gain it, is that a true assumption? That,
0: is, that really is true, mate. And, and to be honest, the biggest decision I've had to make is that my coach uh, is a Russian guy. His name's Sergey. Brilliant, one of the best coaches in the world. He is. He's fixated on me becoming a gymnastics coach, and being an athlete is a very selfish way of life. And it's yeah. the same being a coach a lot of the time, because I'm very aware that kids are at school, right? So the only time I've got to coach them is every evening or on the weekends. And going back to what I spoke about being away traveling and it being simplified for me, the most important thing for me is that in five years time, and this, I actually did this, I said, where do you want to be in five years time, Sam? What do you want your life to look like? And I decided that, you know, I want to build a family with my girlfriend, and that's the most important thing to me. And I want to be able to give my kids, if I'm lucky enough to have them, time. I go around now and I talk to men and women and basically ask them, what, how do you be a parent? How does it work? Like, What's the most yeah. important thing? If you were to <laughs> give me like one piece of advice. Now, nobody can tell anybody how to be a parent. I understand that. And I'll never fully understand until I am one what it's like. But the overwhelming answer that I do seem to get is time. You've got to give them as much time as possible. And for me, being a gymnastics coach in the elite kind of, I guess, in the elite space, so coaching them towards that elite level where you're doing what I was doing, 30 hours a week, 40 hours a week, it's not very conducive to a happy, healthy family life. And I've made the decision that that's just it's just not as important to me as that. And... Uh, What I did do, and my girlfriend again, super smart girl, she said, look, you need to go and try it because you'll never know. So I did eight months of it, and I loved it, but ultimately it didn't give me the same buzz as competing did, and I think you need to have that if you're gonna go and make that big sacrifice. So what I do do now is, I work with the grassroots level, the low level, kids that are just starting in gymnastics, and I go into schools and I talk in front of 400 kids, and if I can get 10 of those kids to join the local gymnastics club, that's how I'm giving back. And it was almost like I realized rather than having a massive impact on 10 young people's lives over the course of 20 years, maybe I could impact thousands, but just yeah. have a bit of a smaller impact, but have a bigger impact at scale so that's kind of what i'm doing that's how i've approached it and i'm now teaching gymnastics at david lloyd so that's my local fitness club yeah um it took me took me six attempts to get them six meeting attempts to get them to sign off on it and give me the green light and i shame on them pushed and pushed (laughs) it's hard right you've got to get someone to convince you that their idea is good and they're gonna do a good job but i fundamentally i knew I'm great at coaching this level of gymnastics. I know that I'll put 100% into it. It's going to be my name on it. So I just need them to give me the chance. And I've been slowly building that over the course of the last four or five months. And it's starting to gradually build. And I'm really enjoying it. It's brilliant. So I do get my coaching things. It's just in a different way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we all have a need, don't we, for contribution. You know, we want to be significant. We want to be on the podium. But we also want that contribution And that legacy that we've left something and we've contributed to other people. So well done on that. Um, Interesting, you know, when I said to to the bio, and we'll skip over the podcast a bit for a moment, we'll come back to that. Oh yeah. yeah. But public speaking, because very often, you know, I see people like yourself um, in all kinds of sports and sectors that there is a particular mindset, isn't there, to... Get you to get up early in the morning to do those hours of training, amongst everything else. You know, I've had friends of being, you know, uh, European champion ice skaters, and you know, they've been on the ice rink at four o'clock in the morning, where the rest of us kids have been in bed waiting to go to school. But there is a, a mindset of discipline, of drive. You know, is that something that you? use in your public speaking you know how's that going to evolve because that's where I think as business owners we need yeah. the most help as well isn't it because you know most of us and I include myself in that find that really really hard we get easily distracted we yeah. lack that commitment you know, I stayed in bed this morning because the dog woke me up too early so I had an extra half hour in bed you know um, where where does that fit in the business model for you as well sure yeah that's a really interesting question and
0: uh like i like i said i do a lot of mentoring and the the reason the mentoring works is because it's relatable to anybody at any age regardless of what they're doing and a lot of that is working on building self-confidence um overcoming obstacles goal setting finding motivation because they're Mm -hmm. the things that 10 people tend to struggle with but i think where the discipline and where that comes into play and helps me is i i consider myself incredibly lucky that Gymnastics taught me the values, principles and morals that have become the framework of my life. And I don't think everybody gets that. I don't think school necessarily gives that everybody right now. That's why sport is amazing because I feel like through sport, you can probably learn nearly all of the lessons you need to learn about life. You know, life isn't fair; It's hard. You've got like, if you work hard, maybe you'll get some results, but sometimes it doesn't work. You know, my second Olympic games in 2016, I felt like I did everything. I got the numbers and I wasn't selected. And I had to learn very quickly that you can do all of the work and on paper you can earn that spot. But it doesn't mean it's always going to go your way. So I think where that really helps me and certainly in the public speaking area, the big thing is that I've actually got to a place where I'm really secure in who I am. That's taken me a long, long time. I've been through a real mental health battle. I was diagnosed with depression, anxiety at the age of 26. I went into therapy. I became suicidal, and I really struggled with who I was, what this was all about, why am I here? I'm just doing complicated cartwheels and getting paid. I don't (laughs) get this. It isn't that important. There's got to be more to this. And I went through basically a midlife crisis at 25, and started to figure some of this stuff out and really understand who I am. And I have to say, I have to really thank my dad because I didn't know it at the time he gave me a gift and what he did was my dad was a very smart man and he knew that there was no money in gymnastics at all. And in order for him to help me get to where I wanted to get to, but also more importantly, financially support me and the family, He was going to have to generate some local support and sponsorship and build me up almost as a brand. So what he did was every time I'd win a competition at 11 or 12 years old, he'd get the local news and press to come down. They'd do a news report on me. I'd be in the Evening Post or I'd be on BBC East Midlands. And it started to bring in some local sponsorship and local support and without that Mm. i never would have made it to where i got to and what it meant was that by the time i got to 18 and i made my senior debut and we went to the world championships and there was an interview after the competition and the person looking after us said we need somebody to do an interview with bbc and everyone went not a chance i'm not doing that i went i'll do it i don't step
1: forward yeah yeah
0: and then i figured out that oh this is just a conversation, and I can take this conversation in any direction I want. So they can ask me a question about how the competition went, and I can start talking about what I'm looking forward to to have dinner late, have for my dinner later. Oh, Once I understood that. I was that asking, sounds like well, you well, make a good politician,
1: yeah. then Sam. That's the only thing that's <laughs> leading down.
0: Well, that's that's true, but uh, but yeah, I, I figured that out, and then yeah, I started clever. understanding. I think I think the big thing, mate, to be honest, is that they say that public speaking is. The biggest fear, right? Uh, yeah. When they ask people what's their biggest fear, the one that comes out at the top is public public speaking. And I think what sport did was help me understand that it's okay to make mistakes and fall over. You just got to get back up and keep trying. And actually, uh, it's the most important thing to do, and it's one of the hardest things to do. That's why not many people do it. So if I can overcome that fear, you know, and yeah. that fear for me initially yeah. when I was seven years old was that I was petrified at a high bar. And i would go and hide in the toilets upstairs when we got to the high bar because i was this big and the Mm -hmm. high bars three meters in the air and i'd go and hide in the toilet every week and then i thought i can't keep doing this someone's going to notice once i'd figured out how to overcome that fear and more importantly i'd realized that all the other kids in my group were petrified of the high bar too i went wow if i can overcome this that's going to give me a real advantage over everybody else And I apply those types of learnings that I had through my sport to public speaking. But you're right. The discipline is a massive one, Uh, but more than anything, mate, it's, I think it's accepting that, uh, you're going to make mistakes, but that's part of the process. Just keep making mistakes. I play football, I play seven aside now every Saturday morning. And the one thing I say to myself before I play, because I used to be a striker when I was a kid, I say miss, keep missing. The more you miss, the more you'll score. Just keep missing. Don't worry, keep missing. Because eventually i 'll take eight shots and score once, and then i 'll take six shots and score twice, five shots and score three and then four and then four, and then before I know it i 'm scoring seven out of seven shots every week and you know but if i'd have never been brave enough to take the shot in the first place, I would have yeah. never got there
1: yeah and you know, I, and, and that 's such a good analogy, and you know I, I, people always say to me you know, i 'm I'm, I'm a big spending, I could spend money like it 's going out of fashion, and you know, I often say you know, if I won the euro millions 192 million pounds I'd spend it in the weekend you know I'd quite easily spend that kind of money in three or four days uh, and people say oh well what will you do if you do win I said I, I never will win and they said no you can never say that I said I can because I never buy a ticket <laughs> and that's the thing isn't it if you never shoot at the goal you'll never score if I never buy yeah, a lost ticket you know and I make that as a, as a choice and, and it's a life choice but you know we have got to keep trying we've got to keep shooting for that for that goal and I listened to a lady I can't think of her name now um, but she created spandex you know the lady's underwear okay yeah, and she yeah, was yeah, yeah. on a Tony Robbins event a few years ago and she said the same thing and that was something she gave credit to her father that he taught her to f- how many times have you failed today and she'd say sorry what how many times have you failed today because if I know you're failing I know you're trying and I know if you're trying." you're going to succeed. And that was his formula. Fail to try to try to succeed. And you know that and she built her multi billion dollar empire purely you know on, on that mentality. So yeah I'm completely with you on that. And I know listeners, you're probably thinking there are so many business lessons in here. And you know I know Sam there's going to be some great things uh, ahead for you in business but also you know as somebody who's been coached since I was 23 in business and now have the privilege of coaching other people, you're going to make an amazing business coach, never mind a gymnastics coach, because a lot of what you're saying there with the public speaking, everything else is absolutely exceptional uh, lessons that we all need to listen to as business owners. Um, And that leads me on to the question. uh, We've not really followed the flow very much, but I've been going down my list somewhat. Where do people go to find out more about you, Sam? And and I've got to say one thing before before you answer that as well. The the Youth Olympic gold needs to be in your biome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's.
0: Do you know what? That's one thing I'm really I struggle with, to be honest, mate. And it's one thing. It's probably the biggest thing I've had to get my head around, uh, because being able to stand to literally get home in january and say right my business is now me i am the business it's my stories and what i've got Mm -hmm. to offer the world has been a massive hurdle because for a long time i was i hated social media i still do in many ways Influencers, all of that i don't like it because i saw what it was (laughs) at 19 i won an olympic medal you know i dreamt of it my whole life and it was amazing right but it wasn't quite what you think it's going to be and i saw that And at 21, I shattered my ankle to pieces and I got a very rude awakening very quickly, you know. So I almost put my foot into it and then I saw what all of this is, this mirage of, you know, social media and TV and press and all of that. I know what it is um, and I had to get over a massive hurdle to be able to be able to yeah, I guess promote myself. And it's one thing I really struggle with is, yeah, is yeah. doing that. I find it yeah. hard enough just to put that. I'm an Olympic medalist in my bio.
1: But you, you, yeah. Uh, yeah I and and I think as like business it. owners, I think we all struggle with that. You know, And I've had many clients that say, oh, I don't like to shout it from the rooftops. But if you don't, nobody else will. Yeah, you know, That's yeah. the thing. You know, yes, you might employ somebody to do your social media for you, as I do, and they can shout it. But at the end of the day, you're still the one that's got to give them the information to, to do that. So I think that's that's something we all struggle with. So uh, welcome to the club on that one. So tell us how <laughs> we can tell us how we can find out more about you and how we can connect with you.
0: Sure. So uh, like I said, I've got my own podcast. So I have the Sam Oldham podcast. It's every week, so it's weekly episodes. It's on Spotify, yeah. Apple, Google Podcasts, everywhere you'd get your podcast, and every Sunday it's uploaded to YouTube too. Uh, so, yeah, it's called the Sam Oldham Podcast. So, yeah, if you could su- subscribe, follow me there. And uh, it's very interesting because it is um, it's essentially my stories from my career. And it's all types right. of topics. This morning I recorded an episode on uh, my fear of death. Uh, I've just gone through the process of experiencing my granddad passing away. He was my best friend. So it was me talking through, in many ways, it's almost like therapy. So yeah, definitely yeah. you can find my podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But you can find me on Instagram. Uh, if you type in Sam Oldham, it should come up. Uh, I made that mistake when I was very younger of again, not wanting to put my name on things. So a lot of the time it's my surname Oldham and then 93 the year I was born, which is my favorite number. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm now on TikTok. I've just joined LinkedIn. That's how we connected. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, you yeah. can you can pretty much find me on everything and I'm actually writing a book at the moment. So hopefully by the end of the year, I'll have a book awesome. about my career and my life, uh, ready to release. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's where you can find yeah.
1: me. Well. We'll keep an eye out for the book, and you need to come back on and do a bit of a promo of that as well. So, just for the listeners, Oldham is spelt how? Like the place, so O
0: L D H A M. Yep. O-L-D-H-A-M. So when I would go to conven- yeah. yeah. When I compete abroad, it'd be really funny because they'd announce my name and they'd say "Old Ham" like that, and everyone would laugh in the audience. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's exactly how it sounds. (laughs) I'm I'm sure there's some listeners that will also pronounce it like that in certain countries as as well. But uh, yeah, so that's great. So let's let's bring it all together there. If if you could give the listeners one tip or lesson to take away from this podcast episode, what would you share with me? You've already shared so much as all our guests do but what would you share with them that they can take away and do something with other than a cartwheel because sorry that's not my thing
0: (laughs) yeah i think the biggest one to be honest mate and it's the one that's made the biggest difference in my life over the past few years given the nature of my history with mental health is you've got to be your own best friend up here you know i spent most of my life especially when i was competing where that conversation upstairs was always you can't do this you're going to fall off what if you make a mistake what if you let everybody down yeah. And it's really important yeah. because that is the closest relationship you'll ever have in your life is the one you have with yourself and switching that to, I think you can do this or, you know, come on, I believe in you. I think we can do this. The amount of times you will stop in a day without thinking about it and you'll be belittling yourself, you know, if yeah. you can switch that conversation yeah. around, it will make a massive difference. It has for me. And just talk to yourself the way you would talk to your best friend, you know. Um, sometimes I have to check myself and remind myself of that. But I think fundamentally I had a conversation with my dad a week ago and my dad's built a, a construction business locally. He's doing really well and it's probably got a bit too big too fast and he's struggling quite a lot with it. And um, I can see he's stressed and he's, you know, we're having a conversation and I just said to him, look, dad, fundamentally, you know, you are an amazing person. You're a really good person. That is the best platform to ever start from. So for me, the one thing I do every single day is when I brush my teeth, I make sure that when I look at myself in the mirror, (laughs) I know that I'm a good person, I'm doing the right thing. And that's not always the case. There might be something that's slightly off in my life and I have to put that right because from that place and that foundation, it's really easy then. You know yeah like uh, that's what i've found yeah. so yeah hopefully that helped my dad i don't know he probably wanted a more technical answer to his, ah. his his uh his issues with the business and it getting quite big quite fast but for me i just yeah. said to him look dad you're such a good person that is just the best place and the best platform to ever start from and that would be my biggest piece of
1: advice I think. yeah yeah and uh, I, I and i completely echo that and what a great lesson and i think if you hadn't have told us all the stories and all the back up to that it wouldn't have the same impact that it has just by saying it so thank you for sharing that so openly uh, and it's a really important topic and we've probably not giving it the justice by you know giving it enough of a spotlight but a great tip and yeah you know looking yourself in the mirror i think barack obama that was one of his big things wasn't it you know getting up every morning and just looking at yourself in the mirror and saying you know did i do good yesterday and am i going to do good today so uh, yeah, yeah really really important final question then sam if you were going yeah. to have your next coffee in a dream location oh, wow. and you were going to have it with a hero of yours where would it be and who would the hero be oh gosh that's a big question man ah
0: oh, do you know what it's gonna be quite a. this will be it, it will be a sad one but it's not mm-hmm. this my 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 granddad who was my best friend um yeah. i go and see him every week and he is now buried looking over the farm where he grew up and it's beautiful it's like it's beautiful and there's a bench there and the bench is named after one of his good friends. My so if I could, it would be I'd sit there on a, a Friday morning maybe at the end of yeah. the week because that's when I, I go and see him at the end of the week and I tell him what I've done that week. I'd sit with my <laughs> granddad and I'd have a conversation and a coffee with him. But I'd do that every week anyway. But if it was going to be one person that has massively oh, – do you know what? The, one, the only person I think I'd be starstruck with meeting because I've met the queen. I've met like Usain Bolt.
1: Yeah, would wow. be David
0: Beckham. David wow. David Beckham was my hero when I was a kid. <laughs> if I met David Beckham, that would blow my mind. I think so. I'd love to like sit down with David Beckham and have a coffee. That'd be
1: amazing. So yeah, yeah. Well, it'd be a three way conversation, wouldn't it? Because your granddad would be sat there right on that bench having the would, yeah. that right conversation then, yeah. as well. So, so any listeners, if you know David Beckham, if you've got any connections, to David Beckham, <laughs> we need to make this coffee <laughs> on that bench happen. Definitely. And you never know who's listening to these things, do you? You I've had some amazing connections with people. Uh, So yeah, David Beckham, you know, pull your socks (laughs) up, get over here, sit on that bench and have a conversation with Sam. I'm sure you'll both share some incredible stories and what a a joint presentation that would be if you did a public speaking engagement (laughs) with the two of you together, that'd be incredible as well. Thank you so much uh, for for giving up your time, Sam. Uh, Listeners, Go and listen to the Sam Olden podcast. Connect with him on all the social medias. Old Ham. So if you just remember it that way, we're going to have everybody saying Old Ham now, but that's that's the way we need to do it. And thank you for sharing so many insights and so much uh, that perhaps I think we didn't realise as listeners into the the arena of artistic gymnastics as well. So thank you so much for that. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And of course, listeners, you've got to go out there now look at your mindset, look at that mirror, look at yourself tomorrow morning when you're brushing your teeth and have that conversation. What better time to do it? And of course, subscribe, subscribe to Sam's podcast, subscribe to this one, leave us a review and tell us what difference this has made to your life. And of course, reach out and connect to Sam and uh, let him know that you heard about him and you connected with him because of this podcast. And as always, I will see you on the next podcast. Bye for now.
0: Thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.stirlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you.